0: Gary Parrish again from CBSports.com. again. It's Thursday, December 18th, and this is the Ion College Basketball Podcast brought to you by Squarespace, which recently launched a version of its platform called Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and a feature called Cover Pages. If you want to try it, go to Squarespace.com, enter the offer code FUN at checkout to get, to 10, to get 10% off at Squarespace. Start here go anywhere. My guest today uh, for the podcast is Mike DeCorsi, the Hall of Fame basketball writer from the Sporting News. And I want to start with this. You, Mike, um, were once the Cincinnati beat writer for the Cincinnati Inquirer, and you lived in Cincinnati until recently. And so you'd have a better grasp on this than I. Where where are UC fans on Mick Cronin? He replaced a uh, an icon and in, inherited a mess, and that's always a tough combination. Missed the tournament, um, I guess, in his first four seasons. But he's made the field of 68 in each of the past three uh, went to the Sweet 16 in 2012, and now the Bearcats are uh, 7-2 and this season after Wednesday's overtime win over nationally-ranked San Diego State. Have UC fans settled on Mick, or do they know they have a good coach, or are they still yearning for the Bob Huggins prime?
1: I think it depends on who you're talking to. Uh, I think there's a core of UC fans who understand uh, that that mick has done an amazing job and, and it's four tournaments in the row. by the way oh is it uh, okay yeah started 2011 and continued up through last season uh they they went to round of 32 in 2011 lost to eventual national champion yukon and then uh and then moved on from there and uh, when he inherited the program it, part of the problem it really began with the way that bob huggins was removed mm-hmm if there the, the president who was hired there Nancy Zimfer uh, made her mind up fairly early on that she wanted to be in a different circumstance with basketball maybe even before she was hired i i, I couldn't say for sure but i know very on uh when when bob had his very high profile dui uh that uh, that she asked the athletic director to to remove him and I, I talked to Bob Goyne, uh for a piece I did about Bob several, about Bob Huggins several years later, and Bob said I, I, that it's one of my favorite quotes I've ever gotten from somebody. Uh, he said, "I wouldn't do that to a janitor." Wow. Uh, and so they so he, the, the the a lot of people think he got fired because of the DUI, but it, it predates that. Uh, there it was the general atmosphere of the program that the new president didn't want and she wanted a new direction the problem was she had no idea how to go about doing it and no real interest in doing it the right way if you, it, they got to the end of the 2005 season made the tournament uh lost in the second round to Kentucky and if they needed if they wanted to move in a different direction they just should have done it then uh and instead she she allowed it to fester on and on and on Actually, maybe I should make. I think I might. I should. Maybe it was the 2004 season they lost to Kentucky, Uh, and and she let it continue on in a state where he had, I think, two years left on his contract, and everybody kind of knew that it wasn't going to be renewed, and they couldn't get anybody to sign there, and so by the time they got through the interim year with Andy Kennedy, uh, who did a really nice job with what he had left, but by the time Mick got there in. In the fall of 2006, when they began their first practice, they had they had two scholarship players who were left over. One of whom left very soon after practice started. So Mick began his first season with one scholarship player. I I, I essentially liken it to an empty gym. Right. And so that's that's where they that's where he began. And to begin with that circumstance and to rebuild it in. Remember, they moved to the Big East like when this was happening. So in the Big East, uh, a much higher league than they'd been playing in. And frankly, in a period when the Big East was as strong as it had ever been, uh, at least going back to the 80s during the Ewing and and Mullen days, it was really a challenge. So he pulled that off. He got them to where they were in the hunt. Uh, They made the the Big East final. Uh, They made those four straight tournaments. Uh, and then in all of that, they got the rug pulled out from under them on the Big East collapse, and he's had to navigate that as well. So there, the, the, I think there are a group of, un, of educated fans who understand the challenges and that sort of thing and how difficult that was. But I, I certainly think there are a number of people who look at it as uh, they want hugs. Uh, there are some, there's a very small minority of people who still look at Mick as something, uh, you know, of a turncoat because he went to work for Louisville. Oh, wow. Uh, I I had people approach me and say that, uh, uh, and I was astonished. Now, this was fairly (laughs) early after uh, the change. It probably was 2007 or so, so I don't know how much of that lingers, but I think it's still out there, and I think you can see that in the, the, the lack of attendance. But there's also the fact that uh, that the program hasn't really drawn any investment. I mean, they're playing in, in an antiquated arena in which they seat 13,176 for basketball, and there's probably 3,176 good seats. Right. Uh, so uh, it's it, nothing is ideal there, and he can't take chances on character at all uh, because the the administration has no interest in it, and he has to keep. The uh, APR high. Uh, obviously all coaches have to do that to some extent, but it's the you know, the the circumstances that led to the regime change a decade ago still persist, so he has to be careful with that. So uh, all with all that stacked up, he's done an amazing job. And there are people in Cincinnati who appreciate that, but, but not but it's not college basketball is not the game in Cincinnati. That it was when I moved there in 1997. That, I mean, it was huge then.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's interesting because um, you know I growing up in Memphis, like remember those those awesome years that Hugs had at Cincinnati. I mean, you know the the you know Kenyon Martin, uh, Nick Van Exel, all of those you know the the big time Cincinnati stars. I mean, they were the villains in in my hometown. And um, to now, um, you know, I I do get the sense that. Though Cincinnati isn't perceived the same way, they are I think Mick's done a really nice job of like establishing a an identity, at least on the court. Off the court, it doesn't have the same sort of stuff around it. But like you know what you're getting with Cincinnati. They're gonna guard you like every every single year, almost regardless of the parts. And um I am not gonna compare them to to the to Hug's best teams because they're not comparable to Hug's best teams, but they are um you know, in terms of like being tough on the court, there is a little bit of that from the same cloth, right? Yeah. I think, I think the toughness,
1: uh, one of the interesting things is that it shows that, uh, you can be tough and intense and, and competitive on the floor and you don't have to allow that to affect your off the floor behavior. Cause right. they've had zero incidents, just about the The one small incident they had, four years ago, I think it was three, four years ago. Well, obviously they had the on-court fight. The that, fight was, right. that was uh, three years ago, 2011. Uh, and then they had uh, subsequent to that an incident uh, in a nightclub right, uh, right. that um, that led to Octavius Ellis being um, uh, leaving the program. But uh, my sources there told me that uh, there wasn't anything to that and that uh, and that Octavius really probably could have stayed. Um, that there, that he hadn't really been an instigator or anything like that was as much a victim as anything. Uh, so uh, I think if you, if you look at it by and large, they've had a, they've had a pretty clean slate, uh, for this, for this decade, uh, starting in the, uh, in the 2010, other than the fight on the court, uh, which was not obviously a happy thing for anybody. Uh, They've had a pretty clean slate and a pretty positive atmosphere and pretty positive image around their program.
0: While we're on the subject of Cincinnati, and and then we'll move on, uh, I do want to point out you reported earlier this month that um, Big 12 officials have met with Cincinnati. Among the things – uh, I'm told, and I'm confident you've 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 said that you've heard the same thing. Is that if the Big Twelve decides to expand, Cincinnati's going to be involved. So I, I guess my question is this: Do you think the Big Twelve will, will ultimately add schools? Uh, and if so, sooner rather than later? I don't
1: think sooner necessarily. Um, I think ultimately they'll probably have to do something. Uh, there still seems to be something of a turf battle between uh, them and the ACC. I think there's a feeling that. Uh, Although I'm a strong believer that five is better than four in terms of big time conferences. And frankly, six was better than five, uh, because I don't think that five can contain all the programs that belong at that level. Uh, And and, and I'm not sure that the the larger conferences have been uh, competitively appealing to all the fans. Uh, But there's still a feeling that there may only be one Survivor. Among the Big Twelve and ACC, I'm not a believer in that theory so much, but I think at some point there's going to be a a, a a feeling at the Big Twelve level that that being ten, although it makes each individual member richer, it might make the league as a whole more more vulnerable. Right. I think it'll get to that. I don't think they're there yet. Uh, I, I I I believe the problem that we have there would be immediate expansion if if. The television networks that are involved said, oh, heck, Cincinnati, BYU, Memphis, whoever. Oh, we'll make more money with them. And so here's you know another 20 million dollars to give to them. I, well, that's not happening right now. I don't see it happening in the immediate future. Uh, but I think that there's there's there was a necessity for the Big 12 to explore its options, which they have done and are doing. And I think there's also a, a, a feeling at, at the Big 12 that. Uh, you never know who might come after your people and who might be uh, vulnerable to, to going somewhere else. Uh, and I think Texas is the big prize there. And certainly the, the, the Pac-12 has already tried to get them uh, and failed. And I, I, I've always thought that they would be a huge prize for the Big Ten and a fit other than, you know, the odd geography. Uh, uh, they'd be a great fit in terms of the culture. Of the big 10 huge state school research big following the whole deal i've always thought that that texas would be a, a a real prize for them um some of that would be difficult with the longhorn network how committed are they how committed is espn uh if they are uh, maybe it won't happen but i think that I think everybody at the Big 12 always is a little bit nervous about that possibility.
0: Because Texas is uh, not the only school, but one of the schools on a short list that could, I think, literally go to any conference it wanted to whenever it wants, right? I mean, anybody would welcome Texas to the to their league, even... Absolutely. It, right, right. Yeah, so you're always uh, going to be vulnerable if just Texas decides it wants to change for whatever reasons it, it might change. Um, let's switch gears. Um, it was a week ago today that Kentucky lost Alex Poitras to a torn ACL. It's awful for Alex, clearly. But how much, if at all, um, does it matter to Kentucky, the basketball team? I think it matters
1: uh, for a couple of reasons.
0: Uh, First
1: of all, Alex is a a popular teammate. Uh, uh, Never complained uh, through some very difficult times. As a freshman, there was a lot of heat there, as you well know. Uh, And then last year, even, although it ended really beautifully for them, uh, it's easy to forget that that South Carolina game uh, that represented the Nadir for that particular edition of the Kentucky Wildcats and and pretty close to it for uh, for John's program at, at Kentucky. If there was a low point, I don't think it necessarily was Robert Morrison missing the tournament the year before because they had the the obvious out of losing their best player, Nerland Noel, to injury. I think it, the bottom was... When they lost to South Carolina on the road, a, a team that wasn't headed to the tournament, that wasn't very good, uh, in, and that was in March, it seemed like they had reached a point that that team certainly was still going to make the show, but that they weren't going to really have anything to do positive once they got there. And from there, of course, they really just basically rocketed straight upward. Uh, so that, that point, um, you know, he went, Alex went through all that. Uh, he went through all the hard times and then, so his good times essentially lasted two months, right. uh, the, the, the month of March last year into April in the national championship game. And then the month of November this year, uh, into the middle of December when they were the number one team in the country. So I, I think that from that standpoint, it's hard for everybody there to see him sidelined. And secondarily, he, he was a valuable player, uh, Probably not quite cast, ideally, as the starting small forward uh, in in the two-platoon system. Uh, I I think eventually that was going to morph. When that would happen would be dependent on when John felt they really needed to get going to get ideally ready for the tournament. Uh, So I I, I thought that he eventually would have become the sixth or seventh man and a a knockout sixth or seventh man for that team, uh, able to really sub at any of four positions because of the mobility of the players inside the, the the starting rotation uh he would have been able to sub for the 2 with uh you know a player moving aside or sub for the 5 with another player moving aside or or sub straight to 4 or 3 where two positions he could play uh himself so i i do think that's a lot to lose a player that versatile uh that that quality of a young man uh and and that athletic and able to defend and and block shots and that sort
0: of thing. It's just awful to see because it's a guy who has sort of been caught in a numbers game. I I guess everybody is – every recruit that enrolls at Kentucky is at risk of getting caught in a numbers game just because of the the sheer amount of talent uh, that John puts into that program. Um, But, like, you know, he could have – I don't know if it's the easy way out, but it was a way out. You know, he could have entered the draft and been picked and be a pro right now on some level or even transferred, you know, and said, you know what, I'm just going to go somewhere where I can do what Kyle Wilcher's doing. Not in the same way, but be more of a primary um, option for another nationally relevant program, even if it's not Kentucky. And yet he decides to stick it out, which I can appreciate. And then you know, just randomly in a practice, apparently with no contact, goes down and, and season over. You you think it's a guarantee that he's back next year? I don't
1: think he has a lot of choice. Yeah. I mean, uh, because if he, unless he were to get a waiver, and that's always a, a bit of a risk, uh, he would wind up having to sit out next year. And if he were to go to the NBA off a knee injury, his value would be at its very lowest. Right. right. Uh, so I, I think he'll be back. And and the crowd will be a, probably a little thinner. Uh, you won't have Carl Towns in the way. Uh, you won't have Willie Cauley-Stein. Uh, I don't know exactly what direction Dakari Johnson and Trey Lyles would take after this year. We will see that. Uh, but you look at you look at that, and, and at the very most, you've got two players at that position. I'm sure they'll recruit some more, but uh, to this point, most of the guys that we've heard them uh, uh, targeting, uh, aside from Steven Zimmerman, uh, have been more perimeter guys, uh, 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 like the young man from Mississippi. uh, Right, right. uh, It's such a terrific uh, scoring guard. Malik Uh, Malik Malik Newman. Yeah, Malik Newman. So, uh, you know, Antonio Blakeney, players like that. So that's that's the majority of what we've heard. Now, I'm not saying they won't get any big guys, but – maybe his, maybe Alex's position won't be quite as threatened by who comes in.
0: Remember, today's ION College Basketball podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, where you can easily create your own professional website or online portfolio. Squarespace is now redesigned with the Squarespace 7 interface, including integration with Google Apps, partnership with Getty Images, 15 new templates and cover pages. And Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Everything starts at just... $8 a month, that includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year, and every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look great on every device every time. Start a free trial, no credit card required. Just go to squarespace.com and make sure to use the offer code FUN to get 10% off and to show your support for the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. at Squarespace. Start here, go anywhere. Okay, let's do some news and notes presented by Squarespace. Only one SEC school, Kentucky, which we've been talking about, is ranked in the AP poll right now. Arkansas is the only other one getting votes. Everybody else is either, I think this is a fair assessment, underachieving, average, or bad. Among them, uh, Alabama, which might go into the average category. They're 6-3 and three right now, zero notable wins. Cecil Hurt, who um, has been writing about Alabama forever, tweeted this the other night after Alabama sort of collapsed at Wichita, or absolutely collapsed at Wichita <laughs> State, <laughs> and um And I I had no idea this was um, a a real stat, but like, I mean, you look at it and it's like, wow, one in 21 in its past 22 games against top 50 RPI teams. And so regardless of what any of us think about the RPI, we can all recognize it's a pretty bad statistic unless something changes. Anthony Grant's going to miss the tournament for the fifth time in six seasons and for this third consecutive season. It's worth noting, I think Mark Gottfried Um, who was his predecessor, was fired at Alabama in the middle of what would have been his third straight season of missing the tournament. And uh, this after making the tournament five straight seasons. And and I know uh, that Mark's termination was uh, more complicated than just wins and losses. Um, When used as a point of reference, it underlines that Anthony Grant's era isn't going so well at Alabama. Why, Why is it not? Is it just a bad fit? Why is Anthony not succeeding the way most anticipated he would? Well, I think it starts. I mean, the whole league it, yes.
1: is is has had problems, and and I, I'm, I'm going to start and I'm not trying to, ex- dodge the question or excuse that one in twenty one, which is a really bad number, um, but the the entire SEC has been flattened by football. Uh, it has been elevated in football by the excellence of its uh, football league. It, it, elevated to a height that I don't think any conference has ever visited. Uh, but in football, that football success, I think, because I, I don't have any other theory for it, I, has has really sucked all the oxygen out of every other sport, That's obviously most, uh, m- most particularly basketball, uh, because not only are very few other schools aside from Florida and Kentucky succeeding in that game, but it's not like you say, well, look, Carolina and Kansas and UCLA are all going in and taking all the players out of there, and that's why they're not succeeding down there.
0: There aren't that many players down there. That's A, that's a, a coach t- brought that up to me recently. He said, if you go look at the recruiting rank, uh, like the top 100 list or whatever it is you look at, um, the players in the – like it's dropped off for some reason. Like it's, it's – it. and I haven't done the research on it, but he was uh, – he insisted if you look it up, you'll find that the the – the number of high-level, you know, high-major recruits in the in in our uh, you know footprint isn't what it used to be. So that like I, 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 you say that's true as well, right?
1: Oh, I don't think it's
0: I don't think it's debatable. I mean, wow. think back to
1: when you were probably a, a, a young kid or a teenager. Um, you know, think back to Antonio McDice yeah. and Othella Harrington yeah. uh, and Ronnie, Ronnie Henderson, Henderson right. and Chris Jackson. And the and, and, you know, all these guys are coming from that region. Uh, and now just I mean, so you know, neither of us has done the statistical research, but just think about it anecdotally. Who do you think about when you think about, well, uh, this is who Alabama missed on or this is who LSU missed on or this is who Ole Miss or Mississippi State missed on? Um, they're, they're just it's not there, especially in the Gulf states, uh, Uh, There's still some players in Georgia, although that even seems to be tailing off a little bit. Uh, Florida has produced more players, and some are going through that state in prep school and that sort of thing. Uh, But Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana have, by and large, really tailed off uh, to a level that, that I think has made a huge difference in why the SEC's not as highly competitive as it was. I mean, you go back um, even further than that to the '90s when Arkansas was winning championships, and of course, Corliss Williamson was a in-state player. Scotty Thurman was a Louisiana kid. Corey Beck was from across the river in Memphis. Uh, there's still some Memphis players, as as you well know. Sure. Um, but other than that, uh, th- those golf states just aren't producing basketball talent. And my only theory to this. Is that football has become so consuming that more and more good young athletes are choosing that sport? That's the only thing I can think of I, I, because the dry spell is too long. For me to just say well it's just a dry patch
0: that's really right. interesting because i think when you talk to the casual sort of uh, sports fan they'll say well the reason the sec is not as good or 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 very good at all in basketball in men's basketball is because they put so much focus on football but the money and budgets and all of that stuff is there for basketball as well like it's not like um you know the, like uh, these guys don't have recruiting budgets and um you know everything they need to succeed but the truth is, it might not be that the SEC schools are putting too much focus on football. It's that the, at the grassroots level, there's so much focus on football that the basketball prospects just aren't being produced. That's an interesting theory. I'm going to have to go look all that up uh, at some point. Meantime, uh, Butler and Indiana are playing this weekend in Indianapolis. I'm assuming you'll be there? Uh, actually, I will be doing uh, BTN. Um, oh, okay. good, I'll be good, in good. the studio at BTN. Okay, good, good, good. Well, if Butler wins... Um, the heat will obviously intensify on Tom Crean, and a lot of that heat is, um, I think, connected to the idea that Brad Stevens would, if offered, maybe leave the Celtics to be Indiana's uh, next. Head coach. Can, can I
1: stop you there, please? Can you
0: imagine a bigger fantasy than that? I know. Well, that. that well, first off, it's just crazy to leave the Celtics for anything. All right. Other like, than it,
1: being it, <laughs> fired and walking away with all the money they'll give you, right? Uh, I mean, that's a. If, if they decided that at some point, and I, when Brad took the job, I said. Right. Great, great, because they're going to pay you twenty million dollars. If you'd have worked the same number of years at uh, Butler, you would have made probably about eight right. or nine. Uh, so if they fire you, walk away with twenty. And any college in America that ha- that is close to having an opening will climb over hot coals to get you. <laughs> yes. But that's not. Ha- Brad is not in firing position. If you if you know if you are an Indiana fan and you want Brad Stevens then you're better off hanging on to Tom Crean for a while because Brad Stevens is not walking away from the money. He is a bright person. He's not walking away from the challenge or the
0: money. And the other thing I'm told, and I've talked to Brad a little bit about this, um, he really likes in in the NBA. He likes the idea of just being a basketball coach. Like, his responsibilities, you know, he doesn't have to go to a golf outing or speak to boosters. Not that he's antisocial, but... He loves basketball and coaching basketball and watching film and learning and thinking. And uh, you, you know as well as I do at the college level, uh, you know, that is some of it. But a lot of it is um your, a weekly radio show and a weekly television show and talking to boosters and recruiting and text messaging and emails and um uh, like he prefers, I'm told, by everybody who knows him well. He much prefers being an NBA coach to a college coach. And so it's not even like he has some desire to come back to college. He wants to be in the NBA. And so I I think you've got it pegged exactly right. If you're an Indiana fan who has this dream of Brad Stevens being the head coach of the Hoosiers, you better hope Tom Crean keeps his job for at least another year or two because I don't think there's a scenario where Danny Ainge fires Brad Stevens after two seasons and then there is no scenario where Brad Stevens... Walks away from, as you put it, all that money, but also the Celtics' job, and so it just doesn't. The timing does. If for no, if nothing else, the timing doesn't work right now.
1: No, it, it's it's just a silly thing. Uh, uh, Brad's not going anywhere, and, and it, you're you're right, and he's not the first. I mean, PJ Carlissimo has had how many chances uh, over the years to to go back from the NBA to college, and and he has turned them down when he's not when he's not even had head uh, coaching jobs. When he's been a solid assistant somewhere, he said no to, to college offers. So uh, there are certain people who get into that lifestyle and decide that it's more for them. Uh, and, I, you know, Brad has young children. Right. Uh, so if, if it became unstable for him there, I think that the stability of a college job, uh, and especially one of the ones that he would get, which would be more toward the top end, would be appealing to him. But I don't think that right now is that time he's he's like I said, he's a really smart guy and he's really good with numbers and walking away from 12 or 13 million dollars is not smart business. <laughs> uh, it, you basically, you're, at that point, if you even if you become one of the highest paid college coaches, if you were to walk away from your buyout, you'd basically be coaching your first three or four years for free. And that's just not very smart.
0: And somebody else told me, uh, somebody connected to the NBA, um, uh, two things. One, um, that his, well, three things, really. His wife really likes living where they live right now. So it's not like the wife has some yearning to get back to middle America. B, that um, he has such a good reputation in the NBA in terms of you know the scouts really have a high opinion of him, the way he teaches and X's and O's and all that stuff. So even if the thing, if even if he couldn't get the Celtics turned the right way, like after three years or four years or whatever, he'd have other NBA opportunities probably. Like he could get another job, and then right. and, and then and then uh, see that if he were to walk away, and for all the reasons we both pointed out, he ain't walking away from this contract. But if he were to do it, then that is essentially. Um, at a very young age, giving up on the NBA, because then you do sort of burn um, or, or you, 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 uh, create the idea that, you, you, you know, you, this guy just wanted to be in college. There's no sense in taking another look at right. it back at the NBA. And so for all of uh, a bunch of reasons, I, I'd be shocked that Brad Stevens is a college basketball coach anywhere in the 2015-16 uh, season. Oh, absolutely. It, it, uh, the Sporting News uh, ranked Arizona number one in the preseason. And though I guess some people took issue with that because everybody, uh, most other people were on uh, Kentucky. um We're a month into the season, and Arizona remains undefeated with an 11-0 record. They got wins over Gonzaga, San Diego State, Michigan, Kansas State, so nothing silly about having Arizona number one then, or even now, if you wanted to. Um, Where are you on Sean Miller's team? If you could do it over, would you rank them number one? Well, they're not exactly the team
1: right now that I would have hoped they'd be, uh, although they're terrific. Uh, The last two weeks or so have been more toward what I'd hoped to see, so... Uh, They may be evolving rapidly in the direction uh, that I imagined when I put them in that position, Uh, I and and, and several others, but I'm not going to lie and say that it wasn't a lot of my idea. Sure. Um, Others have to say, yeah, we're on board with that. But um, I I, I thought that their offense would be a challenge. It was a little bit more of a challenge early uh, than I'd hoped it would be. Uh, but I think they're getting a handle on it to some extent. They're getting a better handle on the rotation of Hollis Jefferson uh, and Stanley Johnson and Gabe York. Uh, They're getting a little bit better handle on that. So I think they're in really good shape. I think people – one of the reasons people um, argued or debated with what I did is I don't think they really understand what I'm doing and what we're doing at Sporting News when we pick a number one team. We don't care at all. I mean, I could – I couldn't. I can't imagine anything I could care less about than who is the number one team on the day the season begins. I mean, that, that, that maybe I care less about like who wins The Voice, <laughs> right. but but not much that I care less about than that. But when what I'm trying to guess is through a course of a five month season, who has the best chance at ending up holding up the trophy on Monday night in April. That's all I try. And, and it's it's a hard thing to do, sure. but that's what I'm shooting for. And I've I argued with some Kentucky fans about that. Uh, uh, you know, wh- wh- who do you think is number one now? And my answer is I don't care. Right. I mean, if you want to say you're number one, that's fine. Uh, it doesn't matter to me because it, 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 the, the idea that, that, that you need to know in November or December or January or February is completely foreign to me. It doesn't matter. You need to be first in your league, or uh, you know something like that. But you, the polls—I'm—I'm I'm a complete conscientious objector objector to the polls. Uh, and so when I when when we at Sporting News ranked Arizona number one, we were thinking in the tournament with their defense, if their offense gets to what we think it is, we think they could. Squeeze out a victory over what we know is an enormously gifted and and well-coached Kentucky team, Uh, and in the end, that may be flat wrong. We've been wrong before. In in 2004, I was just thinking about this today. Today, 2004, everybody in America picked UConn, and with three minutes left in the national semifinals between UConn and Duke, I think Duke was up by like nine points. I don't remember the exact time, but it was right around three, four minutes. They were up nine points, and I was sitting there. Uh, in uh, Texas at the Alamo Dome looking around thinking I'm going to be smarter than everybody on press <laughs> row and then that lead was gone in like 90 seconds I remember that's it. Hey, no. so that's that's kind of what we were shooting for
0: no and that's okay. that's honestly like I think you and I are on the same page here that's what I try to do whether it's with um, preseason rankings or even like you know, preseason All-American teams or Player of the Year. Like, people go, oh, yeah, Jalil Okafor's never uh-huh. played a yes. game. How could you say? Listen, here's my, here's what, here's all, when I say Jalil Okafor is the preseason National Player of the Year for cbsports.com, here's all I mean. By the end of it, when we're all done with everything, I think he will establish himself as the player of the year, and um, you know, it, sometimes, particularly when you're projecting freshmen, it can take a little longer um, than than you would like, and maybe it never happens. But uh, with Jaleo, I think he's averaging like 18 and nine right now for an undefeated team, so it's working out pretty well, at least in that regard. But in terms of the the way of thinking, yes, I'm trying to I'm trying to predict how it looks in April not how it looks on November 14th. Okay, well, I've kept uh, Mike DeCourcy here long enough, kept you guys here long enough. So let's get out of here, but uh, not before I thank you for listening. You're kind to do that. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. Quickest way to get your hands on the latest uh, episodes, so make sure you do that. And also, you can follow Mike DeCourcy on Twitter, at TSN Mike. That's TSN Mike. Have an awesome weekend, everybody. I'll talk to you again Monday. Uh, Till then, take care.